congregation this afternoon, we begin again with the Word of God as we confess that in the Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day 1. Lord's Day 1. And there we confess the following. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he also assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. What do you need to know in order to live and die in the joy of this comfort? First, how great my sins and misery are. Second, how I am delivered from all my sins and misery. Third, how I am to be thankful to God for such deliverance. So far, our confession. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, boys and girls who belong to him, does it make you envious when you see what people who don't know God do on a nice summer day? You know, they can do what they want. They can drive right down the highway here, spend the day at, at the beach. or doing other things, recreation. And in the meantime, you sit here in this stuffy building, listening to a sermon, taking part in a worship service for an hour or so. And they're out there enjoying themselves. Boys and girls, what would you rather do? Sit here in church? Sit still? Or? Go to the beach, have fun on the sand and in the water. It seems as if the people who don't believe have a lot more freedom and pleasure, doesn't it? Could make you envious of them if you think of them having fun while you sit here in, in church in the pew. And brothers and sisters, doesn't it seem in general that unbelievers are better off than us? They can do what they want while we as believers are obligated to do or not to do all kinds of things. And then it costs a lot of time and money to be a Christian and, and a living member of Christ's church. And you're not permitted to take advantage of a lot of the opportunities others have to enrich their lives. It often seems as if unbelievers are a lot better off than we are as Christians, right? Being a, that being a Christian is actually a disadvantage in this life. We aren't the first to deal with those kind of 
issues. Think of Psalm, which we read, Psalm of Asaph. Asaph struggled with the same kind of questions. But he worked his way through those questions in faith, and he discovered that real hope, lasting comfort in life and death, are only in faith in the God of salvation. And with that in mind, I preach to you what we confess from the Bible about the first Lord's Day, in the first Lord's Day of the Heidelberg Catechism, and we do that with this theme, the only real and lasting comfort. We see, first of all, that this comfort is needed, and in the second place, this comfort is unique. First of all, this comfort is needed. The Halbert Catechism begins with a very personal question, what is your only comfort in life and death? And that, that question then assumes that you and I need comfort. If you consider the time when the Catechism was drawn up, you realize why people were busy with that comfort. In those days, people were being persecuted for wanting to worship God according to the Bible. Some of them had to give their lives for that. So it's no wonder people in those days needed and sought comfort. But we live in a different time today, right? We're not persecuted for our faith today. We don't have to worry about being thrown in jail and tortured for what we believe from the Bible at this time. We live in a time of freedom and relative prosperity. So why should we be concerned about comfort? We, here, today. Why would we need comfort? We can understand that people who deal, deal with sorrow or hardship in other places need a lot of comfort. But do people like us, who generally have it pretty good like we do today here, do we really need comfort? Again, though, the Catechism assumes that you and I and everybody, no matter what our circumstances may be, that we all need comfort. Why would we all need comfort? Well, we all need that because of the brokenness caused by sin. That brokenness, that misery because of sin, is not always discernible or as evident as one time, at one time as another. But that brokenness is always there. It's always there in the background or in the foreground of your life. Think of the prosperity of the wicked which Asaph saw according to Psalm 73. Those people he was envying, they were, they were untroubled. They didn't worry about God. They didn't take him into account. They could take care of themselves. They didn't seem to need any comfort. However, that could all change in a very short time, right? And Asaph sees that. Disaster or hardship can come suddenly. All kinds of concerns and worries then rise up 
Just like that. And think of what happened in Alberta recently with those floods there, or what happened in that town in Quebec when this train suddenly blew up and destroyed a whole part of that town. All kinds of people still missing. They were sitting there enjoying their lives and suddenly, boom. Or think of economic collapse. People end up without means to support themselves or their families. Problems multiply. There doesn't seem to be any way out of the problems. Those kinds of things bring people to look for stability and comfort somewhere. Then they do. You see, after the, the fall of man, people began to cover up the instability and uncertainty that has come into this world because of sin. And they put their trust in earthly powers and things and they built them up to make them look as if they are solid, that you could rely on those things. So they ended up worshiping gods of their own making, you could say, and eventually that became trusting in the human spirit or in human reason or human abilities, trusting in one's possessions, the government, institutions, and so Comfort is actually, when it comes down to it, then they have to seek comfort in man himself. But all those things in which so many people put their reliance, eh, they're pretty, actually pretty unreliable, if you think about it. Because they can all suddenly be taken away, right? What do power and wealth and ability mean, for instance, when you're faced with death? and you're in the intensive care unit. Especially then it becomes apparent how uncertain all those things people put their trust in actually are. Then those who ignored God and relied on the things of this world or on other people or themselves end up feeling betrayed by what they relied on. Nothing is lasting. All earthly certainties only give temporary relief, but they're not going to give lasting deliverance. The thing is, those things cannot provide deliverance from the curse and wrath of God because of sin. Just listen to what Asaph, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote about people who trusted in their own strength and their own wisdom and power and wealth. Verses 18 and 19 of Psalm 73. Surely you set them in slippery places. They think they're doing well, but in actual fact, they're on the edge, ready to slide down. You cast them down to destruction. Oh, how they are brought to desolation as in a moment. They're utterly consumed with terrors. Suddenly, you see why everybody actually needs comfort even when things are going fine for them? Everybody. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people who don't realize or want to face the fact that they're on a dead-end road, that they're actually dead people walking on a path to their own demise. 
We don't need to be envious of people who don't know God and who base their lives on their own achievements or abilities or possessions or human abilities. We don't have to be jealous of or envious of them, right? Because in actual fact, God lets them go on that path until suddenly they, they slide to their eternal destruction. They don't even realize that's, that's coming. They're heading to a cliff. Think again of that question asked right at the beginning of the Heidelberg Catechism. What is your only comfort in life and death? I mentioned it's a personal question. If that question asked what is the only comfort in life and death, then you and I could respond kind of in pers in personally, right? Without applying it to ourselves. But the question asked, what is your only comfort? Your comfort. And that's asked of everybody here without exception. Nobody excluded. Question is asked of those who are well-to-do, have no financial concerns, as well as those who struggle with financial management and concerns. It's asked of people who are strong and healthy, as well as those who deal with serious sickness or infirmity. Asked of the young people starting out in life, as well as the elderly people approaching the end of their earthly stay. Nobody is excluded here. This question is posed to everyone, whatever their circumstances. What is your only comfort in life and death? And everybody is asked that because everybody has to do with the great calamity of this life, namely sin and the effects of sin. And ultimately, the big effect, which is death. Sin is why there are so many troubles in this life. That's why the big problem of death and decay. That's why this life is actually meaningless in itself, as, as the preacher says in Ecclesiastes. That's why this life is a constant death, as it's called in the form for baptism. That's being realistic. That's why it's a veil of tears, as it's also called somewhere else, in the catechism. Whether I acknowledge it or not, by nature, I'm in a pretty miserable spot, whatever my circumstances may be here and now. Because of my sins and sinful nature, because of my rebellion against God in paradise, and my continuing rebellion against Him in this life, I'm in fact estranged from God in myself, estranged from the God of life. And therefore, my life is in fact nothing but a constant death, dying. Everything here is actually under God's curse and headed for ruin in itself. But brothers and sisters, boys and girls, to that personal question again, what is your only comfort in life and death? That question needs an answer, and it needs an answer now, because your life could be over at any time later on today. Tomorrow, this week, you need that comfort now. Every one of us here is asked that question and needs to respond to it. And for us, that means the response of faith. In this life of sorrow, this life which is always under the shadow of death, you and I 
may confess that our only comfort is that I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Paid for all my sins, has the Father worked everything for my salvation, and sends me the Spirit so that I stay close to Him in this life. Hold His hand. That's what we confess in Lord's Day 1, a comfort that rises above any and every trouble or sorrow that you might experience in life or death. Completely unique comfort. And that was the second point of the sermon. It's a unique comfort. Congregation, if you don't have God, then you're relying on earthly self-made supports, other gods, in fact. However, as I mentioned before, those other gods are all pretty uncertain, unreliable, unstable. They don't really give you help when dealing with the consequences of sin, and in particular, not with death. But in faith, we can confess that we have an unshakable comfort in life and death, and that comfort is found only in God, only through faith in God. Why only in God? Well, because we know that unlike all other gods, our God is a living God. Our God is a living God. He's always the always present and act of God, the almighty God in whose hands are life and death, the only God who can, who can and has dealt with sin and death in his Son. And that's why he alone can give comfort, even if this life with all its imagined support perishes. He remains, and he is always the same, the God of salvation, the God of all comfort. He gives the only lasting and true comfort there is in life and death. The frantic efforts of people to make their lives secure by any other means are, are useless, senseless. So you can never say that believers have one kind of comfort and unbelievers have another kind of comfort. No, there's only one real comfort in life and death, and that's the comfort found in the living and redeeming God. Outside of Him, outside the personal relationship with Him in Christ, there is no comfort at all, really. It's fake comfort. People may think they find something stable that they can hold on to in all the ups and downs of their lives, like friends or money or possessions or whatever, but those things can and will and shall eventually disappear when it comes to the crunch, especially when they see death approaching and ultimately they have to appear before God. Congregation, we confess that our only comfort in life and death is that we are not our own, but belong with body and soul to our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Think about that comfort. It, I'm not my own. Not my own. How in the world could that be a comfort, not to be your own, to, to give yourself up? Isn't it far better to be the boss of your own life, to be lord and master of your own destiny? Nowadays, people are often encouraged to dare to be themselves. 
Dare to let go of everything you think might hold you back from being who you want to be. As being bold. Make yourself free to be who you want to be. Seize the day. Do what makes you happy. But brothers and sisters, boys and girls, are the people who think they're free to do what they want, to live the way they themselves want. Are they really free? We know that after the fall of man, Satan has become Lord and master of mankind. Mankind gave himself over to Satan at the fall. People who claim to be Lord and master over themselves are actually fooling themselves. They're in fact slaves. Slaves of Satan. Think of what the Apostle Peter wrote to Peter 2.19 about the false teachers who were preaching freedom in his time. He said, while they promise them liberty, they themselves are slaves of corruption. For by whom a person is overcome, by him he is also brought into bondage. If you want to be your own boss, if you want to decide what you want to do, just by going by your own desires and feelings, you might think you're acting in freedom, but in your reality, you're a slave of your own sinful nature, enslaved by Satan to do his bidding, and subject to the wrath of God then. God then gives you over to sin, and then you can think you're making your life better and happier, but in actual fact, you're destroying yourself. You're sliding into everlasting darkness and forsakenness. Congregation, according to the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can rejoice in being freed from ourselves. I'm not my own. Thank God. And that might sound strange. Who rejoices that he has or she has lost the say over themselves? But from the gospel, we know that we can only truly be ourselves, be truly human, if we're freed from ourselves and belong with body and soul to Jesus Christ. And that's why, boys and girls, you can be happy that you're here in church today, worshiping God, and not out there on the beach and doing whatever you want. Because you've been given a relationship with Jesus Christ, the Savior, who, who, who saves you from death and sin. If you didn't have him, you'd be a slave of sin and Satan on the way to hell, where even the illusion of freedom is gone and you're given over to all the consequences of sin forever. For what did Jesus actually do? He fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and set me free from all the power of the devil. Notice the alls here, all the alls. He fully paid for all my sins. I was supposed to die and go to hell. Jesus did it for me. Completely for all my sins. And he set me free from all the power of the devil. The devil doesn't have the ultimate say over my life anymore. I'm not his slave anymore. What a wonderful Lord and Master we have, congregation. And he's not a, a master who drives us to destruction, but one who leads us more and more into the freedom of the children of God, as it says in the Bible. 
That's our comfort, our real enduring comfort in life and death, that we belong to Him. Our bodies are affected by sin, prone to sickness, to the effects of aging. And if Christ doesn't come back first, our bodies will one day give out. Our hearts will stop. And our souls are constantly under attack by those enemies we mentioned last week, the devil, the world, and our own sinful nature. It's a constant battle. But we belong with body and soul to Jesus Christ. Bought us with his precious blood, his holy blood. In him we're safe, secure. He's the only secure point in this whole universe. In him I have a glorious comfort. A comfort that extends beyond the grave. I belong to the Savior in both life and death. And he'll never let me go as long as I don't break with him. When I close my eyes for the last time, I still have a rock. See, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, in a world full of fake comfort, we have solid lasting comfort both in life and in death and with this comfort we can deal with life here in all its uncertainty with all its brokenness because of our fall with this comfort we can deal with death no matter how terrible it is for even in death we know that we belong to christ the savior and that we're his possession and he won't let go of us because we were bought with his precious blood we read Psalm 73 earlier on, and in that psalm, Asaph sings of that unique comfort already, too. He envied people who did whatever they wanted. It, it ate at him that they seemed to be doing so well without God while he struggled to live for God and experienced hardship because he wanted to live for God. But then he went up. He says he went up to the sanctuary of God, the temple. And he sat there in the temple and looked at what's going on there. He saw where the lives of those who ignore God are really headed. And he realized again, too, what life with God is all about and where it's headed. And then he spoke those wonderful words toward the end of Psalm 73. Starting at verse 25, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there's none upon earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For indeed, those who are far from you shall perish. You have destroyed those who desert you for harlotry. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all your works. He's... He's saying there what we confess in Lord's Day 1. All comfort outside of God is worthless. What comfort, what is comfort that brightens my life but which can't help me when I'm faced with death? What are earthly certainties worth if I, I can't take them to the grave with me? They're only temporary, of temporary value. They have no substance really. But the Lord, the Lord, if you have him, you have eternity. The Lord Jesus himself, when he was on earth, spoke often of the transitoriness of 
earthly pleasures and contrasted them with the heavenly reward laid away for believers. Think of the Sermon on the Mount. He said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are you when people revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. And then on the other hand, he warns those who put their trust in the things of this life, in wealth, seek their life in earthly pleasures and so on. He says, woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full, for you shall hunger. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. See, if you seek your life in earthly possessions or pleasures or so on, if you seek your life and stability in those things, you have already received all the consolation and comfort you're going to get. You don't have to count on the eternal comfort God gives in Christ. You've had it all here. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, blessed are you if you have that only comfort in life and death, even if you struggle here. That comfort of belonging to Christ, it's yours. Don't let go of it. Don't let your heart cling to other things for comfort and peace. Just know that in faith you can experience that comfort here and now. How can you experience that comfort? Well, you need to know some things. Know in faith. Because how can you enjoy a treasure you've received if you don't even know what that treasure is, if you haven't looked into it? The thing is, you have to listen to God's word of promise. Look into the gospel of salvation every day. That's how Asaph came to that comfort again when he doubted it. He struggled with envy, and then he went up to the temple. And there he saw the sacrifices, which are the foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. And there he came to experience that glorious and unique comfort again, which he writes about at the end of Psalm 73. Those sacrifices, what was going on there in the temple, taught him his sin and misery again, as the gospel of Christ teaches us to see our sins and misery clearly every time again. And in those sacrifices and what was happening in the temple, Asaph saw his deliverance in the promised Savior again. Just as we deepen ourselves in Christ's work, the more we study the gospel, the more we see what Christ has really done. And finally, those sacrifices were also thank offerings which taught Asaph to be thankful for the salvation he had received in Christ. And so we come to joyful thankfulness for God's grace and our salvation in Christ the more we study the, the word of God too. So Asaph came to peace in his heart again when he saw the gospel portrayed in the temple. And so we grow in the only comfort by looking into the gospel of Jesus Christ every time again too. The more you study it, the more you understand those three parts and the more you'll live and die in the joy of that comfort. You'll experience that comfort in all the ups and downs of life.
brothers and sisters, boys and girls, to what is your only comfort, the only thing you look to for peace and joy in life and death? What do you cling to in life? What, what is the, the highest thing, the most important thing in your life? What do you put your hope and trust in? Look to your Savior, Jesus Christ. Trust Him. He's faithful. He never let anybody down in the Bible, and He won't disappoint you either. You won't be put to shame. You're His precious possession, and therefore you're also precious in the sight of your Heavenly Father, and therefore also loved by the Holy Spirit. Can't get any better than that, can it? Amen.